I want to invite you to go to Psalm 37 in your word. You can just remain standing. We're going to go to the word, Psalm 37. The title of today's message is, His Goodness is Our Purpose. His Goodness is Our Purpose. I was tempted to read the entire psalm, but I'm going to just give you some pieces here and there. I'll call out the verses as I go. One of my favorite individual scriptures in all of the Bible, though, is Psalm 37, verse 4. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you your heart's desires. I love to misquote it. I love to say, the Lord wants to give me the desires of my heart. That sounds really nice, doesn't it? But it's not the truth. The Lord only wants to give me the desires of my heart when my heart is delighted in Him. But you see, even that shows His goodness. Because if my heart was delighted in something else and He gave me the desires of my heart then, it would only lead me to a place of disappointment and destruction. Take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust Him and He will help you. Verse 7, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for Him to act. Verse 16, it is better to be godly and have little than to be evil and rich. For the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. Verse 23, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Aren't you thankful for that? He says in verse 25, Once I was young, and now I am old, yet I have never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. Verse 30 says, The godly offer good counsel. They teach right from wrong. They have made God's law their own, so they will never slip from His path. Verse 34, Put your hope in the Lord. Travel steadily along his path, and he will honor you by giving you the land. You will see the wicked destroyed. Verse 39 and 40, and then I'll close. Not the service, sorry, I don't want to get your hopes up. I'll close my Bible. The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them, and they find shelter in Him. God, today, I just pause and ponder once again how good you are. I thank you so much for your word that breathes life because it is the breath of God. I thank you for your spirit, which 
gives us the ability to hear and to understand and to be transformed. I thank you for the blood of Jesus that because of his love and his commitment to us that we can have fellowship. Lord, I pray that over the next few minutes that you will help me, lead me, and guide me to say or to not say exactly what you would have. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Come on, one more time. Let's give the Lord praise in the house this morning. Amen. His goodness is our purpose. I'd say most Christians actually believe that my goodness is God's purpose. That God's working over and over in me to make me a better person, to help me stop sinning. So that I can be a holy person, so that I can be a person who knows God, knows His Word, and knows what to do. And that's not entirely wrong, but that's not the point. The ultimate point is that more and more, as I live my life, as I go through my days, as I do what I do, that God would show me how good He is. Not that I would show God how good I am. I'm going to say that again because... I really think it's important that we grasp what his ultimate purpose in our life is and is not. Because for so many of us, we believe that God's ultimate purpose in my life and in your life, and especially in the lives of people that interact with us on a daily basis, is to make us or to make them good people. But the reality of God's great purpose and plan for our lives, more than that, far greater than that, is that we would see, because of his consistent revelation of such, just how good he is. You see, there will come a day when we will see him face to face, when we will be known by him, or we will know him as we are known by him. And we have this idea that when we all get to heaven, we will all understand. But the truth of eternity and eternity is one of those concepts, it's so hard to even grasp because we have no reference for it. But the truth of eternity is that how, I mean, I say however long it lasts, you know, from now until never, we will continually, every single moment of every single day, whatever time uh, label is given, we will continually learn more and more of his goodness, his glory, and his greatness. And that process begins today. It begins it begins the moment that we come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The moment that he becomes our Lord and Savior, that's when he begins showing us how good he is. We often think that salvation is the pinnacle of a believer in Jesus, but ultimately it's not salvation. That's just the beginning point. That's just where we start. And so today I want to talk to you about how his goodness is our purpose. Now, I just want to give you a few stories from my own life and and talk about how good God has been to me and how good God continues to be, to be to me. I remember in the summer of 2000, I had just recently become a Christian. And uh, it was a Friday night, if memory serves correct. It's been, a, it's been a couple of minutes since then. But, you know, it was a summer night in the summer of 2000. And one of my friends gave me a call and he said, hey, we're going to go run the bridges. You want to come hang out tonight? And I had been a Christian for about two weeks, and I told my friend, I said, you know what, I don't think I should go tonight. I, I'm not really feeling it. To which he says to me, man, you've been, you hadn't hung out with us in two weeks or whatever. Ever since you went to that church, 
you stopped hanging out with us. Something's different about you, man. You've changed. And I said, yeah, I know. I'll talk to you about it sometime. And so he hangs up the phone. And that night I go to my room. I had a little wooden desk that my dad had made before he passed away. And I would sit there with my legal pad and my Bible, my King James Version Bible, I might add. And uh, come on, if it was good enough for Paul, right? And um, my pastor jokingly would refer to the NIV as the nearly inspired version of God's Word. And so I had to have me a King James. And so I would read through my King James Bible. I started in the Gospels, and I would write sermons because I knew even then that the Lord had called me to preach, some of which I still have from that legal pad that I would tear out and I had saved over the years. And um, go to bed that night after listening to my WOW 99 CD and worshiping the Lord in my bedroom. I'm woken up at 2 a.m. by a phone call on my landline phone in my house. I had a phone sitting beside my bed, and so I answered the phone. And the friend who had called me earlier, he says, man, uh, I got something to tell you. I'm at the hospital, and Mark's dead. And the person that was riding with him, who I won't name, who was also a good friend of mine, who didn't live that far from me, it's where I was introduced to Nintendo 64 and all the beauties that have to offer, that that had to offer. He's also in the hospital. They're not sure if he's going to make it, but if he does, they're afraid he's going to be paralyzed. And you see, what Run the Bridges meant was that we would go to this outskirts area of town where I'm from in Sebastopol, Mississippi, and you would start at this bridge, and then you would go to the last bridge before you hit the big curve, and it was about a quarter of a mile. And so what we would do is we would gather, and we would, we would drink, and we would smoke, and we would tell dirty jokes, and we would try to see if girls wanted to come hang out with us, which very rarely ever happened. And we would race our cars. I was driving my dad's 1998 Chevrolet Silverado that had had a, a tune on it uh, that could outrun most uh, sports cars. They had not been modified. And, and so I loved going because I could carry people with me and I could drive up in this truck and, but then smoke everybody that didn't see it coming. And it was amazing. My, my friend Mark, who was there that night, who was a, a good friend of mine, had a a Mustang GT. It was purple and it had a rag top on it. It was convertible and it was incredible. I, my favorite thing about that car, though, was that we would take it mud riding. And if you've never went mud riding in a two-wheel drive Mustang GT with slick tires, you haven't lived. Because when that thing gets stuck, you just get to one side and you start pushing. And the next thing you know, you're getting out of that, that bog you're in. I grew up in the country. That's, we didn't have a lot of things to do, right? But Mark was running the bridges with my other friend in the passenger seat with him. He got to the end of the quarter mile, and as he started to make the turn, he wasn't going incredibly fast. It wasn't as if he lost control, but the passenger side front tire blew. And the car began to flip end over end five, six, seven times, throwing Mark out, killing him instantly and terribly injuring my other friend in the passenger seat. And as I went to his funeral and kind of came to this weird conclusion that, number one, I could have been me in that car. Very easily could have been me. Not only had God saved me from my sin 
Two weeks earlier, he had saved me from what could have been a very short life or painful moment two weeks later. I also had to deal with the fact that if God was able and willing to save me, why didn't he save my other two friends? You see, two weeks before that, I had given my life to Jesus. I had been invited to go to church. A person had pulled up on the side of the road, a a lady, a youth leader, just a volunteer youth leader at a church in in the backwoods of Mississippi, 40 minutes from the nearest McDonald's. Like, that's how far out. People would say, from Oliver Springs, say, we live in the country. You don't know the country. (laughs) Oliver Springs would have looked like Knoxville to me, okay? Like, my wife has seen it. She knows. Say amen. 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 Like, she's been there. It's not bad. It's beautiful. It's something. (laughs) It's out yonder, right? God had radically transformed my life because a person simply invited me to go to church, and, and I went to church. And that night, on a Wednesday night, early June of the summer of 2000, at 15 years old, I gave my life to Jesus. Now, granted, there was several years of sanctification the Lord had to work into me. But on that night, two weeks later, I knew what would be taking place at the bridges. I knew the things that would be being consumed. I knew the things that would be said. I knew the actions that would be taken. And I knew there was something in my heart that said, I don't need to be there. That's not what the Lord's called me to do right now. I couldn't have verbalized it like that, but that's the truth of it. And as life would go on for the next several years, and here I am now at 38 years old, I can look back and, and I can tell you moment after moment, event after event, situation after situation, that God has always been so good and so faithful to me. He, he's rescued me. He's, he's helped me. He's, he's provided for me. He's opened doors for me. He's closed the wrong doors for me. When I have caused trouble for myself, which has happened more times than I care to recount, he, has, he didn't abandon me. He didn't say, oh, you done messed up now. I'm done with you, boy. No, 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 no. In those moments when I was at fault, when I was in sin, when I was the one who messed it up, that's when he came closer. And he said, listen, he, he held me by the hand, just like we read in Psalms. And he said, you stumbled, but I will not let you fall. And I'm going to bring you through this. Yeah, you may he be the one responsible, or maybe in some situations it was someone else responsible. Where pastors and church leaders who, who should have been looking out for me, or actually the ones who harmed me. But even in those situations, the Lord was faithful. And I I love the song, The Goodness of God, and and I feel like I can say it truthfully all my life. He's been faithful. It's like his goodness is just chasing after me. And his mercy has never failed me. Now, can I tell you the truth of my life? And you know this, because we're humans. We live in an imperfect world among imperfect people of whom I feel like the chief of which. My life hasn't been perfect. There have been seasons, sometimes really long seasons, where in the middle of the situations that I was in, I did not feel like God had always been faithful. There there have been situations and seasons and circumstances that while I was in the middle of them, I, I did not feel like God was good. But as he brought me through it, and as time has gone on, and I am able to look back with the perspective of hindsight and see 
that in the middle of it, I could, it, was like, it was like I was in a deep well, and I couldn't see what was around me, and I needed the grace of God and the passage of time to lift me up out of that, and I could see what was happening. What I couldn't see in the moment, I can see looking back. And now, because of his goodness and because of his faithfulness, I can look back and I can tell you, I didn't see it then, but I see it today. And, and you, want, you want me to be even more honest with you? By the time I'm 48 or 58 or 68, God willing, I will probably be able to tell you, yeah, there was things that happened in my 40s and 50s that in the middle of those, I didn't feel like God was good. My feelings didn't feel his goodness, but my faith knew that he is always faithful. Because that's life, right? That's how it goes. But I look back and I, and I look ahead and I claim it by faith. All my life, God's kept me from trouble. All my life, he's got me through trouble. All my life, he's provided for me. He's closed the wrong doors. He's opened the right doors. He's been with me every step of the way. My wife says I should write a book one day, but I don't really feel like it's that special. I just feel like it's a journey that we all have in some way or another. But it is amazing how just the little things that the Lord has done that turn into big things. Something, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. God's plans always precede your problems. God's plans always precede your problems. Before rain flooded the earth, God had planned for Noah to be on the ark. God had a plan. Before the Israelites, as they left Egypt, were cornered by the Egyptians, you've got the, the raging sea on one side and you've got the raging Egyptian army on the other side. Before they ever got there, God had planned to part the waters for them. Before Jonah was thrown overboard, God had planned for a big fish to come and rescue him. And what is interesting to me about that story is that I bet in the moment when Jonah is swallowed by the big fish or the whale or whatever it was, that he did not feel like that was God rescuing him. He probably felt like, this is God killing me. This is God punishing me for my sin to not go to Nineveh. But in reality, what felt like a curse was actually a blessing. Man, that would preach, wouldn't it? Before David faced Goliath, God put him out in the wilderness with sheep to shepherd. And God sent lions and bears to attack the sheep. And God used the lion, he used the bear, he used the wolves, no doubt, to train David because one day he would face an enemy over nine feet tall with sword and a spear that weighed over 50 pounds whose name was Goliath. You see, the battles that you're facing today, can I just tell you, like, we want to run from the battle. We want to run from the confrontation that we face from the enemy but if we would understand that everything that you are facing today is preparation for what the Lord knows you will face tomorrow. And, and to use some video game terminology, it's kind of like we level up, right? Yeah, you know, we, we, you know, our stats go up, right? Our resilience goes up. Our, our, I don't know. I, I hadn't played an RPG in a while. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all think I'm speaking another language. That's okay. But God knew one day he's going to face... Goliath, so I'm going to let him face some lesser obstacles right now to prepare him for the day that he walks into the valley of Elah with sling and stone. God, 
God knew or God planned before Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ever thrown into the fiery furnace. He said, oh, when it happens, I'll meet them there. Because not only is is the battle you're fighting preparing you for what is to come in the future, but oftentimes the battle that you're fighting is the place where you encounter him face to face. Because it's, it's something about trials and tribulations that just humble us and bring us to our knees, sometimes physically, sometimes metaphorically. Where we say, God, I need you. And when we become wholly dependent on him, that's when we encounter and experience him in new and amazing ways. Before Zacchaeus needed help to see Jesus, God planted a sycamore tree for him to climb. According to Revelation, even before humans were created, even before the world was created, God had planned to redeem those lost to sin. It says the Lamb of God was slain from the creation of the world. Taya will laugh at this because something I said earlier this week to her and Brooke. But I need you to know that Jesus was not God's plan B. Jesus was foreordained before the foundations of the world were laid to be the lamb crucified for our redemption. Before you found out the, the bad health news, before you lost your job, before you had your heart broken, before your family fell apart, God had a plan. God has a plan because he is the God of miracles. He is the God who was mighty to save. He is the God who, at his command, the angels will go. He is the God who can shut the mouths of lions. Just ask Daniel, right? He is the God who can calm the storm. Just ask Peter about that one. Because before you ever faced a problem, God had a plan. Amen. I think we should live, give the Lord praise. But what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you don't understand what God is doing? What do you do when you're going through a difficult season and you're in the middle of it and you don't have the benefit of hindsight to see how God's going to make it all work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? It's such a great verse when you're testifying, but it can be such an annoying verse when you're in the middle of a storm, right? You can say it, but you're gritting your teeth the whole time because you don't want to say it. Because you don't feel like God's working everything together for the good. Sometimes it feels like God's working everything together to kick you in the rear end. (laughs) What do you do when you're going through a divorce or when your kids are acting, well, like kids? And your boss is being a jerk and your health is struggling and you're experiencing anxiety or depression and you're going through a tragedy. What do you do? I want to go to a story in the book of Acts. If you, go, if you got your Bible, just flip there. You can kind of read with me. Acts 16, when Paul and Silas, among other Christians who were traveling to the city of Philippi to preach the gospel. Now, Luke wrote the book of Acts, so we know that Luke was there. Luke is the one that recorded this event. However, Luke was somehow spared from the, the situation that Paul and Silas specifically went through, but he did record it for our benefit. He says this in verse 16 of Acts chapter 16, One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer. Hey, that's a good thing, right? We're going to church. We're going to the place of prayer. We met a slave girl who had a spirit. And he's talking specifically about a demonic spirit. 
that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are the servants of the Most High God and have come to tell you how to be saved. Even the demons in hell, James tells us, know, that, know who Jesus is and they tremble in fear. Verse 18, This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly it left her. That's the kind of power that you and I have as people who have been, can I just use some old school but so good terminology, washed in the blood, right? Come on, there's power in the blood. I can start singing, but I won't. I'll spare you. Verse 19, her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. You don't mess with people's money, right? So they grabbed Paul and Silas. Remember, there's other people there. Luke's one of them. But Luke, apparently he was standing far enough away from Paul that they didn't associate him with Paul. Poor old Silas, though. He was just a foot too close. They grabbed Paul and Silas. They dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. Verse 20, the whole city's in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city's officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. We're, we're talking stripped naked in public and brutally beaten, not even with whips, but with sticks, with rods. I think of like fishing cane poles. That's what comes to mind for me. Beaten with rods. They were severely beaten. Then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in stocks. Now, I like to read the Bible, and I'm not necessarily saying this is a good practice, but I do it sometimes. I like to superimpose myself into the stories. You know, I think, you know, David fights Goliath. Well, I got Goliath to fight. Although, you know, I mean, a lot of people were Goliaths compared to me. That was funnier than you allowed it to be. I love the people who are just shaking their head like this, like, trying too hard, Drew, trying too hard. But I do like to do that sometimes. And I look at this story and I ask myself, if this is me, what do I do? If this is me who is going to a new city to preach the gospel, dedicating my entire life to it, and there's a person who is demon-possessed, and I cast the devil out of her. I do the right thing. I do the good thing. I do the spiritual thing. I do the Jesus thing. And then instead of being rewarded, instead of being praised with accolades, instead of, instead of being you know, honored for my good deed, for my sacrifice, for my hard work, instead I am stripped and beaten and thrown in prison, then what do I feel? What goes through my mind? When, and some of you, can, you know where I'm going. When you do the right thing... When you're trying to live right, when, you, when you're going to church, when you're going to small group, when you're going to midweek, when you're, when you're tithing, when you're giving, when you're serving, what happens when you feel like you're doing everything right but everything wrong keeps happening? How do you respond? How do you react? How do you move forward? What would you do? What did I do? Because you see, before I became a born-again Christian, in the summer of 2000, I was what I like to lovingly refer to as a Bible Belt Christian. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The year before I became a Christian, I was cutting grass and asked, or, or, or rather my mom drives up and says, Hey, uh, we got to go to the hospital. Your father blacked out on the golf course. 
We got to go see what's going on. Get in the car, drive to Neshoba General Hospital about 30, 40 minutes away from where I was. Walk in and find out my father is deceased. He's dead. He died on the golf course. You see, the whole ride up there, I'm making these deals with God. Anybody ever do that? I'm making these deals with God. I'm like, okay, God, here's the deal. All right. I don't know you all that well, but I know you're supposed to be good. I, I know that, uh, that you came because you loved us. I know Jesus is real. I, be, I, you know, I believe all that. So God, because I know you're a good God, because I know that you wouldn't do some awful crazy thing, and I know you have, you're powerful, all these things, my dad will be fine. My dad will be great. My, dad, my dad's going to be, it'd be easy. No, no big deal. Maybe a little hiccup in our life, whatever, and it'll all be fine. But I get there and I find out not only is it not fine, not only is, he, is it really bad, it's, it's as worse as it could get. And I found out that he's passed away, that our whole life has changed, that everything is different now because of what just happened. And so as I leave that hospital, I'm telling myself, not only is God not real, if he is real, he's an awful God. He's, a, he's, he's bad at his job. Because if he, if he is real, and if there's anything true in here, even though I had never read any word of, of it, I just heard it preached every so often. If, if he is real, if he is if he is there, then he, he sucks. Some of y'all struggle right now just because I said that. But that's how I felt. That's what I believed. And let's be real. Sometimes we still believe that today. Because God can change the situation. God can heal her body. God can raise the dead. God can provide a miracle. God can help me pay my bills and provide for my children. But he's not. And why isn't he? I thought he's good. The pastor said he's good. The pastor said he's loving. The pastor said he's kind. Then why is he not answering my prayer? Why is he not healing my body? Why is my wife going through this? Why is my child going through this? Why is the person that I love going through this? If he's real, if he's good, if he's kind, if he's God, then why doesn't he do something? Can he handle that kind of honesty? The truth is, two truths. Number one, I wish I could tell you the only time I've ever felt that way was when I was 14. There's been times as a pastor of a church I felt that way. Can I, can I, is that okay? The second truth is, that's honestly even a little harder for me to tell you, is I don't really know. I don't know why God doesn't always heal. I don't, I don't know why God doesn't always give a miracle that we're looking for. I don't know why, if he could, he sometimes doesn't. I don't know. I don't know that I'll ever know. Maybe, maybe, maybe in eternity. I don't know. But I know he's good. Let's see what, what, what did Paul and Silas do. Let's read that in Acts chapter 16. Verse 25. So instead of asking questions we can't answer, let us transition. And there's nothing wrong with asking those questions. Just understand and just hear me. There's not always a good answer. In fact, I would say this to you. The Bible gives us everything we need. But more times than not, it doesn't give us everything we want. I hope you feel encouraged today. 
So what did Paul and Silas do? It says around midnight, Paul and Silas were complaining and crying out to God. And the other prisoners were listening and agging them on. Why are you all laughing? I can recognize Joe Maurizio's laugh anywhere. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were whining and crying and complaining to God. And the other prisoners were listening. You know, I, I, if, if praise belongs to God, complaining belongs to the devil. And it says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly, what do you mean suddenly? And suddenly, when they weren't looking at circumstances, instead they were looking to him. There was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. So not only are Paul and Silas now free, every other prisoner in there, and, and let's just be real, probably a lot of them deserve to be in there right? But they're now set free. Why are they set free? They're set free because of Paul and Silas's praise despite every human logical reason to keep their mouth shut or to instead of praise to complain. Here's something that we would all do well to learn when we get together on Sunday mornings and we praise and we worship together as a community that your praise is packed with power and it's not just for your own benefit but for the benefit of those around you. It's for, yeah, come on, give the Lord praise. Come on, can we do that now? So what is a miracle? A miracle is when God intervenes on earth. And here's the thing that's difficult for me. Why didn't God intervene with the moment when they were being arrested? Why did he wait till after the beating, till after the shame, until after the prison to intervene? I don't know. But I do know that God is always good, that God is always faithful, that his ways are higher than my ways. He knows more than I know. He sees more than I see. And while I do not always understand his ways or his methods, I always know and believe in my heart that he is good and that he is faithful and that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above anything I could ever think, ask, or imagine. Why did, yeah, you can, one more time's fine. Why didn't God save my dad? Why, why did God save me? Why didn't God save my friend? Why didn't God? I don't know. I don't have the answers. And ultimately, understanding's not really the goal. And I know that's hard. Because we all want to understand. We all want to figure it out. But remember, our understanding is not his purpose. His goodness is our purpose. The author of Hebrews says for us to offer a sacrifice of praise. Let me say it like this. Don't wait for the miracle of, to worship. Don't wait for the miracle to worship. Worship in the waiting. Worship when it's easy. Worship when it's hard. Worship in the waiting. Worship when you see the miracle. Worship when you don't. Worship when the music is great. Come on. Worship when the music's not great. Because if you only worship when you like the songs, then what you're doing is worshiping your preferences and not worshiping the Lord. Wait, hey, worship when the preaching's good, worship when the preaching's not. Because if you only worship when the preaching's good, that means that you have elevated mankind above God. Come on, we worship when we understand, we worship when we don't understand. For someone in this room, you need to hear this word today. It's time, and this is going to sound controversial, it's time to start praying, and it's time to start praising. 
It's time to stop praying and it's time to start praising. You've been asking God. You've been pondering. You've been questioning. You've been doing all these things. And the Lord hears you. But the Lord is saying, listen, if I told it all to you, you couldn't understand it anyway. So instead of looking around and complaining, instead of looking around and worrying, why don't we look up and worship? Why don't we look up and praise? Amen. We worship God for who he is, regardless of what he does or doesn't do. We worship through the waiting. Sometimes we have to worship through the pain. Oftentimes we have to worship through the confusion. We worship when we get the miracle. We worship when we don't get the miracle. We worship when we get the blessing. We worship when we don't get the blessing. We worship when we get the raise. We worship when we get laid off. We worship when we get the new car. We worship when the transmission breaks, right? Come on, that's too real. We can't go there. We worship, we worship when the headlights work. We, I'm trying to stretch here. We worship when the check engine light comes on. I mean, we worship when our kids say, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. We worship when they say, bruh. <laughs> we worship. We worship on the bad days. We worship on the good days because he's worth worshiping. And so God opens the prison doors. He saves Paul and Silas. He saves these other prisoners. And he even saves this guard. This guard who was ordered by his overseers to make sure they didn't escape has got a sword ready to plunge into his torso. And, and Paul says, hey, hey, stop. We're right here. Paul risks going back to jail to save this man's life. And this guard, I don't know what he heard or what he said or how it came about, but he, he says, Paul, I don't know what you got, but I want it. And so that man, that guard, comes to the saving knowledge of Jesus. He's baptized, and so is his entire family. So I don't always understand God's purposes. I don't always, I, I don't always understand why God lets us go through things that are painful, but I know God always has a plan. Amen? Before Paul went to prison, God had a plan. Before you went through the, the thing that you went through, God had a plan. Before you are going through the thing that you're going through right now, God has a plan. Don, if you'll come help me, brother. You know, and I've been saying God has a plan, God has a plan, God has a plan, but can I, can I say another thing that's controversial? I, I actually don't know that I think God has a plan. Hold, hold on. You've been amen and all these God has a plan, and now I'm like, God ain't got no plans. I don't know that God has a singular plan for our lives. Let me say it like that. But I do know that God has a purpose for our lives. He has a purpose for our life, and he has a lot of plans that help us get to that purpose. And ultimately, what's his purpose? His purpose is to reveal to each one of us more and more and more and more and more and more, and I could say it until I couldn't breathe anymore, more and more to reveal to us how good he really is. It means that today on August 20th of 2023, I think God is this good. But tomorrow on August 21st of 2023, I'm going to know he's this good. And the next day he's going to be this good. And the next day he's going to be that good. It's every single day, regardless of the circumstances I'm in, regardless of the challenges that I'm facing, regardless of the pain that I'm feeling, regardless of the tragedy that I'm enduring, until I see him face to face and on throughout eternity, every single moment is me discovering, oh, you're better than I thought you were, God. I thought you were this good, but you're this good. And then it's the next day saying, God, I thought I had you figured, figured you out, but, but you're actually 
actually not this good. You're this good. You're better than I thought. Listen, you can't exaggerate his goodness. You can brag on him. You can praise him. You can exalt him. And you will never exhaust the options that you have to talk about how good he is. God, I thought you were this good, but you're this good. The next day, you're, oh, oh, wow, I didn't see that. You're that good. And then, and I, that's all I got, right? And you just keep on going. Somebody taller may help me out. I want to invite you to stand. I want to tell you that the idea of God having a plan for your life, that, that while it comes from a very good place, and it's not exactly wrong, I think a lot of times it's done more damage than good. Because it, it puts on people a certain pressure that if I drop the ball, then I've ruined all that God has for me. But it's just not true. It's not true in his word. Whatever mistakes you've made, whatever problems you've faced or even caused, God is able to turn it somehow, way beyond my ability to comprehend to good. Whatever you're facing today, whatever you'll face tomorrow, if you will just continue to say, God, I don't understand, but I'm going to worship you anyway. If you will just continue, even, even if you're angry, and we talked about that before even priests, even if you're struggling, maybe you're angry with yourself, maybe you're angry with the Lord. Can I tell you the best thing you can do when you're angry with God? You know what the best thing you can do is? You can tell Him. You can tell Him. And even if, even if you, your words are filled with anger and vitriol. God is big enough, strong enough, awesome enough. He says, you know what? I can handle it. I got, I got strong shoulders, he would say. I can handle your pain. I can handle your anger. I can handle your disappointment. And then as we begin to confess those things to the Lord, it is my prayer and it is my belief that because of his loving kindness, he begins, as we put those, anger, those feelings of anger on his shoulders, he begins to lift them off of ours. Come on, that's how good he is. He's not surprised that your life hasn't been perfect. He's not surprised that you haven't been perfect. He's not surprised by the mistakes you've made. He's not surprised that, that you've dropped the ball a time or two or a hundred. Because that was never the plan. He is the plan. He is the purpose. He is the goal. He is the end. You being a good person... That's great. That's, that's fine. But that's not the goal. That's not the pursuit. Learning and discovering how good he is, that's the pursuit. That's the goal. That's the plan. So whatever decisions you're facing today, he is with you in them. And he is championing you into the incredible purpose that he has for you to discover more and more of his goodness. And so I want to encourage you this morning or this afternoon. That no matter where you are in your journey, that you would keep worshiping, that you would keep praising, that you would keep pressing in, and that you would keep moving forward in Christ. That regardless of the mountains you're climbing, regardless of the decisions that you are processing or the challenges that you are facing, that today you would recognize that you are wrapped up in the love of Christ. That the prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus will become a reality for you. He says in Ephesians chapter 3, he says, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power 
to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of God. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Listen, I can't, I can't understand all that God does, but I can experience all that God has. Come on, say that again. Y'all got, I can't understand everything he does, and that's not the goal. But I can encounter him and I can experience all that he has for me. So I just wonder today if at Lifehouse Church there are any men and women of God who would say, you know what, I don't get it, I don't understand, I don't always have the answer, but bless God, I have his presence. Praise God, I, I, I don't have to understand because I can have him. Come on, come on, can we just lift it up to him? Come on, let's lift our hands. You might be saying, I haven't seen my prayer answered yet, but I'm going to praise them anyway. Come on, is there anybody that says I'm going to praise them anyway? Who would say, I haven't gotten my miracle, but I'm going to worship him in the waiting. Who would say, I might be in the middle of the storm, but I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize of Jesus Christ. Come on, let's worship. Worship team, we out.